Hi and welcome back to the show. Today I have with me Siva Subramaniam. He is the co-founder and CEO of FBC Asia. It was a great conversation with Siva. He is an industry veteran. He's got decades of experience across the outsourcing and shared services industry across many countries uh, and he spent the last 14 years in the Philippines. Only two years ago, uh, Siva, with uh, some other co-founders, set up FBC Asia, and it's really the culmination of his uh, and other people's uh, decades of executive experience in the outsourcing industry. So it's a really exciting outsourcing proposition for people out there. Uh, I had a really good conversation with Siva. He has uh, got you know, incredible experience in the outsourcing industry. So he's bringing all of that experience to FBC. Uh, we talk about his uh, history, of course, career, and what he's doing with FBC. So a really good conversation. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory. We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs, and we can help you too. We cover everything from business and staffing strategy, optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you're already outsourcing, about to start, or somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your outsourcing practices. We list over 700 outsourcing suppliers on our website, host this leading outsourcing podcast, and have over 5,000 pages of content. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. We offer everything from light brokerage, co-managed services, through to fully managed solutions. Get in touch today. Visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Mention that you're a podcast listener and we will give you special attention plus a 10% discount. This is for a limited time only. Go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Okay. Hi and welcome to the show, everyone. Today, I'm joined by Siva. Siva, hi. How are you? Welcome to the show. Uh, thank you, Derek. I'm very welcome and thank you for having me. Siva, it's a pleasure to have you here. You, it seems that you've you've um, worked on both sides of the divide. You've very much um, been very established in the outsourcing industry over many uh, decades now, and you have worked for you know the big names in the business serving the enterprise clients. And now you have FBC, which is uh, serving small and medium-sized enterprises, SME market, um, but you're bringing an in incredible wealth of experience and industry knowledge to the SME market. So there's incredible value there. Siva, I suppose initially, if, if you could just introduce yourself and and I suppose um, a brief glimpse of your, your career in outsourcing. Yeah, happy to, uh, Derek. So my name is Siva. I'm originally from Sri Lanka. I grew up in Australia for most of my life. In the last 24 years, I've spent um, 10 years in Singapore and 14 years in the Philippines. I've just returned to Sydney, Australia after being away for 24 years. I started in the airlines. Uh, some of them may not know the names, but I started with Pan American. 
um, and airlines used to have the call center business in the, the old days. And I've subsequently worked for American and United. Um, I, as you say, I worked for larger companies like American Express. I was a partner for Deloitte Consulting out of Australia. And um, without boring you too much, my last role uh, prior to FPC was the regional general manager for English speaking countries uh, based out of Philippines that included the US, the UK, um, Asia Pacific, and obviously the Philippines. Uh, we had at the time I left about 14,000 employees uh, and I worked for Transcom for about nine years. I then left and did some business consulting for about two, three years until a couple of investors from Australia came and asked us to set up um, FBC Asia Pacific. FBC uh, stands, sounds a bit corny, but it stands for faster, better, cheaper. And that has been my mantra growing uh, and working in the industry of outsourcing. I don't operate as a supplier or a vendor. I operate as a partner. And the objective is to try and provide all the value adds, even at the detriment of uh, us losing revenue, the old British saying of penny wise, pound foolish. I don't count my pennies. I look at the big picture and I prefer to join at the hips with the clients and help them to grow the business, both top line and reduce costs so they can be successful, so we can be successful. The only difference with FBC and my previous outsourcing businesses was we built something for the future generations of the BPO industry. So today, traditionally, all the BPO companies serve for majority the baby boomers, the voice calls, etc. We set up uh, a program for the XYZs of this world, Gen Y, Gen Z um, of the world, where they're not going to be making any calls. They're going to obviously chat or email, etc., to um, complete their customer experience transactions. So we introduced artificial intelligence where the calls can be handled without an agent. And if the problem cannot be resolved in the AI, it'll go to a person in the Philippines. And if that cannot be solved in English, we had a partner in Malaysia where we can provide all the Asian languages. So that's how we set up. Um, a lot of the big companies cannot do that today because although the world is evolving and when you think about it, all of our kids, uh, they're not going to be making any calls, but all the BPOs can't run out of the front door and suddenly change from an agent program to an agentless program or an AI dependent because it's um, it can impact their revenues and it can be revenue dilutive as well. Whereas for us, we had no historical information and historical financials to worry about. So we were able to offer something for the future generations. And we also wanted to offer work at home. And so we started well before the pandemic hit in 2019 using work at home. But we also have clients who prefer office-based solutions. And we have an office in Manila, uh, which houses 50% of our staff today. So that's kind of a helicopter view of who we are today or who I am. Got it. That's that's fantastic, Siva, and, and so much I want to unpack there. I've been madly typing notes while while you talk. Um, you know, first thing I want to touch on, I, I think it's fantastic that you really want to make a point of being a partner and not a supplier and vendor. And I think a default in the industry is to treat the outsourcing as, you know, just a vendor and and just people performing a task. But I think when you reduce it to just a, a sort of vendor relationship for both the BPO and the staff doing the function, it really takes the soul out of things, doesn't it? And 
you get much better results if you are in partnership and not only from the company perspective, but from the staff doing the job, if they feel they're a part of the business and a part of the mission, then it, it really goes a lot further, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, the old uh, General Electric saying, you know, if it's not your core competence, please outsource it. And so if you go to an outsourcer, the outsourcer has to be value-adding, understanding the client's business, and find ways to save monies. Because that's what the outsourcing is supposed to do. Uh, if you're just doing exactly what the client wants you to do, then you are simply an answering service. You're not adding any value. So I always like to unpack all the things that the client is client does and obviously provide them some feedback. They may not accept all my recommendations, but they may. Um, but also the fact is um, customer experience is no longer a cost center. So most of the companies are looking to generate profit. So they're transforming from a pure customer experience to cross-sell, upsell, and you know on-sell. And so we need to be evolving with that process so the cost center doesn't become a cost center and remains a profit center. And that's what I want to do through our company as well. Got it. And, and again, I think there's so much value that you can add, especially in the SME, SMB space, um, because you bring that wealth of experience and, and executive you know, knowledge, experience, process management, um, specialism to from the enterprise into the SMEs. And again, that's so powerful, isn't it? People are not only getting, as you say, a sort of faster, better, cheaper service, um, but it, it's probably far more sophisticated than what they've ever been doing previously as as they grow and evolve their business. So um, there's so many wins in in partnering with the right person, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's important. And um, I'm also not a believer in having hundreds of clients. I really have a dozen or two dozen maximum clients because if you try to grow fast and become big, you kind of lose the relationship with the client and then you become a generalist. I want to be a specialist for our client and I want the clients to feel that uh, they are the only client that we are working with and that's the kind of service I want to provide. Got it. And I want to unpack that as well, but I just want to go back to your Transcom days. You, I think you 10 x the amount of staff in Transcom up to about 14,000 staff uh, over a 10-year period. And that was you know, pretty much the heyday of the outsourcing boom uh, or kind of the tail end of it. Um, how has outsourcing changed in that time? You know, That was probably 15 years ago now. How have you seen the whole game evolve? Obviously, within that time, there's there's been a hell of a lot of technology come along. Um, you know, What were your main observations over that? 15 year period. Yeah. yeah. So that time, uh, Derek, um, offshoring and going to a, a cheaper market was really, really to take advantage of the labor arbitrage. So for the CXOs, the number one, number two priority was cost savings. The markets have evolved, the outsourcing business has evolved, and now cost savings is probably fourth or fifth priority for a CXO. What they are seeing right now, even for countries like Philippines, the Filipinos can deliver similar service, similar levels of service as you would get in a Western world. And the clients expect uh, the outsourcers to bring upon new technology. Technology is not going to resolve all the problem. Technology is going to be an enabler. Ultimately, when the rubber hits the road, it's a person who's answering the phone call that's going to make a difference. So whilst the, the, the 
the main issue of offering people at a lower cost is important. The outsourcing business has gone up the value chain. And so therefore now it's, what can you do for me to understand my customer better? How can I add value to my customer? How do I get a full picture of my client? How do I look at the service journey of a client interaction? And so all those different things are coming. And so the, the clients are looking for the outsourcers to go up the value chain and provide those value adds so that they can constant, constantly evolve with the expectations of their end customer. I think selling outsourcing is, is quite hard sometimes because there's this stereotype of, you know, if you ever mention outsourcing to anyone, they immediately re reflect on the annoying calls they've had with their bank, uh, you know, and they say they get someone overseas that they can't understand. And, you know, I, I kind of think this is a bit of a hangover from 10 or 20 years ago when it was a little bit more uh, or less sophisticated. Is that true? You know, 20 years ago, was it pretty rough and now things are a lot better or are we more tolerant of sort of, you know, international teams? Where do you think, you know, things are along the spectrum? But 20 years ago, was everyone just sort of experimenting and, and it's considerably better now? Yes, it is. Um, at the end of the day, when we sell outsourcing, we don't promise a Filipino who has a British accent or Australian accent or American accent. What we offer is a highly educated, possibly a degree holder who speaks excellent English that could be understood by a Westerner. As long as we keep those levels of understanding good with the clients, it's okay. But as you say, Derek, the market has evolved and every country, the people kind of expect to hear a foreign accent when they speak on the other line, even even if you look at locally, whether it's in the UK market or an Australia market, a lot of the phone work is done by migrants in those countries. So mm. when you talk to somebody locally or internationally, you kind of get used to talking with uh, international folks with international background and ethnic accents and et cetera. But as long as we communicate very well and do all the, the things properly and the customer gets the problem resolved, that is the key metric and that's important. And yeah, I, I didn't want to focus too much on accent, but in terms of the ability for an agent to get a job fixed, you know, do you think that process has been improved a lot over 15, 20 years? Is it because of sort of better CRMs, better processes, you know, and more sophistication in the industry? Do you think we are improving on that process of CX? Uh, yeah, absolutely. It has to be because the agent answering the phone call technically should be a one-stop shop agent. In the mm. past, you call for a reason and you ask for something else, they had to transfer to somebody else and transfer to somebody else. Now the expectation is that the agent who answers take care of all your queries. Um, in order for that to happen, the CRM solutions are important, knowledge-based systems, desktop solutions, etc. History on the clients is important so they can make informed decisions. So that's where the technology comes into place that we need to provide all the required information to the to the agent at the fingertips so they can be uh, competent and able to answer all the customers queries got it and so you focus you know primarily the the, the bigger call centers they they focus on uh, customer service and you know cx and um those kind of functions SME kind of outsourcing might broaden into every kind of role, almost staff augmentation if they, if they want accountants or marketers or 
But where do you sit? Are you focusing, you know, where do you focus? You said you preferred to specialize. Uh, what sort of product um, offerings do you, do you provide? Yeah, so the SME groups have different wants and likes. And so we didn't want to bottle them into one area and say, this is the only one, take it all, leave it. So we have five different lines of businesses. The bottom line is all of them add value. So we have what you said, staff augmentation. So the uh, customer simply wants some people to answer phone calls, etc. We do have that option. Um, if they have the employees, but they want uh, they don't want to invest in capital expenditure and they want a fully fitted workstation, we have that capability. We have obviously the full outsourcing capability as well. Um, and the SME market, as they evolve and grow, uh, they obviously have to get legal entities and things like that done in overseas countries where they want to operate. We can offer what we call a build, operate, transfer. Uh, essentially means that we will run the operations uh, for the customer and when they get the legal entity, we will transition the program. And the last piece we have is a recruitment process outsourcing where the customer is overseas and just wants to hire people, don't have the time to search and source and recruit people, we offer those services as well. So the SMEs must have multiple options because they are not as sophisticated as the enterprise businesses. So the SMEs have to piecemeal their solutions. Some of them may want the, the whole thing, but they want to, uh, the affordability comes into play. So that's why by segmenting and offering what they want brings a, a better match uh, in the SME market. Got it. It's an entire spectrum, isn't it? And also the entire spectrum throughout the full life cycle of a, of a business requirements with offshoring. Uh, and it is super important that, you know, build, operate, transfer is an option. Uh, I, I don't think as many people really utilize it as think they might, but it's always good to have that option and that flexibility, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not everybody will take it or if they do take it up, um, chances are they'll never take it back because when it's, when something is going very well, why take it back and make it even make a bigger mess? So they generally leave it alone and leave it to the outsourcer. And so, in terms of the the roles, then you with the staff augmentation, you you could hire anything from an architect to a zoologist, and and you know really just placing the staffing. Uh, and then is it the the client managing the operations, or do you come in and assist the client in terms of building out their processes? Yeah, uh, we don't pretend to know it all, uh, Derek. So we don't hire a lot of the roles we don't have experience in. But we do project managers, we do developers, um, testers, we can do agents, tech support, etc. And we do offer all the all those roles are available. And the customer has a choice to have them all report to them. Or they can also hire team leaders through us or operations managers. And we can oversee them as well if they want. Got it. Yeah, and it, it, it's valuable as well for the client, I think, to actually build out the internal, like their own resources within the within the team so that they have that hierarchy, so that they have the different skills and specialties. It actually creates a more, a stronger sort of team for the client that is effectively owned and controlled by the client. It, it seems to, it's almost better for the client, isn't it? Right, exactly. And you know, I'm still unpacking your original kind of uh, conversation, but you, you mentioned automation, you mentioned some of the technology that's coming through, you know, AI and automation has been 
talked about a lot and that it might decimate the industry. Where are you seeing automation come in? You know, and there's probably early stages grass shoots, but um, where is it? Where is it finding really good solid application that, that you see at the moment? So the artificial intelligence is going to happen. How fast the adoption of the artificial intelligence by the larger companies or the SMEs is yet to be seen. The SMEs are mostly owned by the millennials and the and the future generation, so they are more open to technology-based solutions. But if you look, if you talk to the pundits, uh, they, today, for example, 80% of the calls is handled by agents, 20% by non-agents, self-service. The, the expectation is within three years, it'll flip. Um, I don't know whether three years is the right time frame. Um, where 80% will be self-service and 20% by agents. Um, but for, in order for that to happen, there has to be a lot of backend systems that needs to be developed and put in place uh, so that the AI can pick up all the information. There's a lot of chatbots and AI AIs operating right now, some to a greater success and some to lesser success. But it's important that uh, we, we treat the right customers with the right tools. We can't expect the elderly and the pensioners to deal through an AI. At the same time, you can't, uh, you know, the, the newer generation don't have the patience to wait for an agent. They prefer self-service. So it, uh, you need to give the clients the options for the next foreseeable future where they can actually use the AI and the, and the, the agent-based call centers. But the, the critical information, critical piece is that we understand the customers because a lot of companies assume that technology is going to resolve all the problems. But there's an old book uh, by a person called Ken Blanchard who wrote The One Minute Manager, and he wrote a book called Raving Fans. And he basically says, happy customers are no longer good for you. You need to have raving customers. But in order for raving customers, you must have raving employees as well. But what he says is ask what the customer wants and deliver plus one. And that's a fundamental error that many companies do because they assume a lot on what technology should they, they implement, um, but not asking the customer what they prefer. So that's been an issue for us in our industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's still a long way away, isn't it, that, that technology could actually fundamentally replace staffing, whether it could augment the the staffing and, you know, reduce sort of man hours. But um Certainly, certainly a long way away. Also, you know, the technology is impacting how people communicate. So, you know, now everything, well, 20 years ago, it was just on the phone. There was no options. But now everything is is email and chat and omni-channel. So where are you seeing that going with the market? Uh, And, you know, is it sort of more of a burden for a company now to have to sort of serve every different channel? Um, it's really horses for courses, Derek. So if you are really want to run a call center just to provide information, then technology should be, a, you should go with a technology-led solution. But if you are an organization that want to transform from making your call center from a cost center to a profit center, you need to have a person because the person needs to understand the customer, resolve the customer's issue, and then try and cross-sell upsell something to the client. That you cannot do through technology straight away. So therefore, it's really what does a company want to do with their call center? Is it part of their sales strategy? It is the what's the vision around the call center itself? For those who traditionally consider a call center to be a 
purely a service center, then the technology can help. But there are large companies in the US, for example, they're transforming from a cost center to a profit center because they don't want to have the burden of having lots of people sitting there and a burden on the PL. Got it. Can you talk through that a little bit? Like what is the thought process around, you know, switching something from a cost center to profit? Of course, everyone would opt for profit, but how how sort of significant are the changes in the operations to to do that switch? And what are some of the pillars of of change? Yeah, so the 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 old saying, you can make a salesperson a service person, but you can't or not can't, but harder to make a service person a salesperson. Um, but having said that, uh, in my previous role, I had a large client. We had almost 3,500 plus staff, and they decided to move from cost center to a profit center and asked us to transform all the employees from being purely service service agents to a sales agent as well. We did that uh, very successfully, um, and we transformed the whole operations. Obviously, they had a lot of cross-sell, upsell products, and we were able to do that. And um, we did it well, but it didn't happen overnight. It mm. took a lead time. We had to give them lots of uh, skills to understand how to pitch the features and benefits, how to overcome objections, because not many people can handle objections. Um, and so it, it is not easy, easy peasy by any means, but it is doable. And sometimes uh, people will quit because they just don't want to sell. They don't want to uh, do that part. They're happy to do service. And so you had to, you go through some attrition, uh, but it is very doable. Got it. It's such an exciting prospect, isn't it? And, you know, it, it might sound a little bit predatory to turn everything into a sales operation, but actually it's, it's kind of um, being proactive in customer service as opposed to just being reactive, isn't it? It can actually turn a relationship around into a positive new vibrant relationship as opposed to just solving someone's problem and reacting to the problem at the time? Yeah, two things. One is uh, for the employee itself, doing that functionality of you know service to sales means their job can be around for a long time to come because they're helping the company to grow. Uh, therefore, the outsourcing market will stay for, for a long time. Um, so that that's the key part of it. But on the other hand, you know, we, we need to also make sure that the client is continuously growing. And so the more investment we put to make that happen, the better it is going to be for the client as well as the outsourcer. Yeah, amazing. And is there is there downside to that, do you think? Like turning turning some turning customer service into a revenue model, like potentially it could sort of cannibalize goodwill or you know, are there any downsides to it? Or or are you seeing most businesses now trying to switch to that model? It's the old, uh, you know, would you like some fries with that McDonald's mm-hmm. mantra? Um, it can be annoying sometimes because all I want to do is call and resolve my technical problems and get out. I don't want you to be trying to sell me something, what I, you know, what I'm not interested right now. So it can be annoying. So it's important that you pitch the right story at the right time, and that will come with experience. Uh, but even now, when you when you try to even do things online, you get hammered with emails and options to do other things, etc. It can be annoying sometimes. It has to be, you know, the right time and the right pitch is important. And that's what's incredible, isn't it? You know, and that's where the skill comes in is to kind of mobilize three and a half thousand staff to say the right things at the right time. There's a lot of nuance and a lot of skill to that. And to build a process around that is, 
is incredible, isn't it? You know, it's, uh... yeah, yeah, that's that's really important. And I I I spent ninety percent of my time on the people at the employee engagement, making sure the people are motivated to come to the job, and they value the job. And so, the more education you do with people as to why the transformation from cost center to profit center is important for them and important for the client, and get their buy-in, and that is the critical part. If you get their buy-in then, you know, Bob's your uncle, you just, you can score lots of wins. Yeah, that's, that's so exciting, isn't it? And then, then they have a mission then, don't they? And they're, they're sort of, they're engaged and, and they've got something to work towards. No, that's fascinating. So you, you've always been work from, well, you've always had a work from home component and, you know, prior as a marketplace, we represent a lot of BPOs and I, I generally want to distance ourselves from the lower end of the market, which is like Upwork, freelancers, project work, gig economy. I think it's important that we sort of uh, delineate from from the very sort of mom and pop. And uh, but obviously, COVID has changed all of that, and and it's really making the entire world question the necessity of of office and what it means to be an employee and and you know uh, productivity. Um, so where do you sit in terms of work from home? Um, and, you know, should people be in the office or should they be at home? Um, no, we, uh, we had put a lot of thought into the work from home model. We started back in July 2019. We invested a lot. Um, the primary concern that the customers had was the security of the data. And is the agent going to be focused on their job? Are they going to social media, etc.? So we developed tools that actually has uh, the option to monitor. Even the client can monitor the agent, uh, entire shift, screen capture, everything, uh, so that the customer feels confident that the agent is actually being productive and uh, working. At the same time, we have a technology that uses the camera to look at the employee and, and see if they are stressed, distressed, happy, not happy, so that we can actually reach out to them and make sure they're okay and their disposition is okay and they are working very well if they need any help, etc. We also have an Australian psychologist who calls into all our work at home agents and talks to them about how they're doing working from home, 24 hours a day in the house, etc. And then we have an Australian um, uh, gentleman, gentleman who actually owns a gym to talk to the employees about doing some uh, exercises when they're at home. Etc. And then we have an HR team that actually calls every single person at home to make sure that they are doing okay and they're happy and there's anything else that they can do, etc. We do a lot more things on top of that. Uh, as a person finishes uh, 30 days, we offer them 25 kilos of rice so they can celebrate with their family. Anytime there is some outstanding work, we buy them buckets of KFC so they can you know, celebrate with the family. So that employee engagement is very, very important. And the testament to all that was we were given a gold status from employee engagement by uh, the global consulting firm that is dedicated to call centers, company called COPC, where we were recently awarded the gold award for employee engagement. Congratulations. And, and it is very much a people's game, people is. game, isn't it? You know, it, it's so important to keep the people engaged. Um, and it's an employee's market out there as well you know like people will jump around bounce around so it's really important to keep them engaged keep them happy and then of course they do better work yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. And so, Siva, how was the uh, COVID uh, situation then? And, you know, it, it was obviously a bumpy ride for everyone, but how did you find, uh, did you need to kind of pivot or change it all from, from it? Yeah, for, for us, Derek, because we started with work at home, uh, we saw less impact than uh, most of the BPOs had. Uh, in fact, on the contrary, we had a lot of companies from Australia and the U.S. come to us to for short-term work-at-home programs because they had obviously no setup for work-at-home. And so we had we got a lot more orders for work-at-home uh, during the start of the pandemic until they built their own infrastructure. Uh, we do have the office base as well. And so right now, Philippines is going through what they call an enhanced community quarantine where people... Uh, cannot commute as well often as possible and we provide employees shuttles as well as meals so they don't have to go gallivanting looking for food everywhere and they travel to office in a secure environment go home. COVID is you know is anybody's guess how long it's going to be but it looks like it's going to be for a long time. I can also tell you that work at home is not going to go away whether it's an outsourcing or even a client. Uh, work at home is here to stay. The productivity is definitely higher Infrastructure is getting better by the day. There are tools and technologies that can help the employees at home. And so we had to have those multiple options as part of your business continuation plan and disaster recovery plan. And gone are the days where you have a standby site and that's good enough for, for DRP. Mm, for sure. It's all evolving. And how do you price all of this? Like obviously, you have incredible experience in the market. You've got incredible uh, infrastructure and tools there and you have all of those staff support services um if someone's kind of knocking on the door of outsourcing inquiring how do you how do you price all of this yeah we try to keep it uh, simple Derek. so basically we offer an all-inclusive price there's no fine print or anything that the customers have to worry about and it includes the agent costs the support the functions the support teams based on the ratios infrastructure, be it work at home or office-based, um, all of it is included. Uh, the only thing that is not included in our pricing is the uh, cost of calls coming to the Philippines and going backwards. That belongs to the customer. Everything is an all-inclusive price. We offer an hourly price, and that's all that the customers have to worry about, and that's easy and works very well. Got it. And you know you you're you're an industry veteran and you relatively recently in 2019 started fbc so obviously you, you know you're not sort of here for you know to watch the daisies where do you see fbc going um and where do you see this company going over the next sort of 10 20 years what what kind of mark are you planning to make yeah so the uh, people have asked me if the fbc is an outsourcer or an advocacy uh, to be honest, the work at home really, uh, Greg, was started by me because when he, I was in my previous job, we had almost 3,500 employees who were single moms or breadwinners stuck at home. So really, I started this program to help those smart individuals but stuck at home for uh, unforeseen circumstances. And uh, I want to leverage on their skills. And that's how I started. And so today, even now, I'm very focused on the employee satisfaction and employee engagement. And so we have no big ambitions about being a rich company or a you know, 15,000 employee company. I think if I get to three, 4,000 employees, that's good enough for us. I want to put more 
money in the pockets of our employees so they can be successful with them and their families. And if we can make a little bit of money along the way, well and good. That's really what we aim to do. Fantastic. And outsourcing really is that, isn't it? It's an incredible win-win for everyone involved. It's a win for the clients, obviously, but it's just creating prosperity and opportunity and you know incredible growth right across the globe. So it's, uh, it, yeah, it, I, I'm a huge uh, proponent yeah. for the industry. I am. I'm, I'm a bit biased about the Filipinos. Um, it's, my wife is a Filipino, but also having lived in the Philippines for 14 years, um, I always say the Filipinos come with a good good attitude chip in their brains. It's normal, natural. It's very easy to give them the skills um, because they always have a positive outlook with everything they do. High, highest literacy rate in the, in the world, second largest English-speaking country in the world. 90% um, of the employees we employ are college graduates. And they never say die attitude. You know, you whether it's typhoon or there's an earthquake, they show up for work, no matter what. The homes might be flooded, the cars will be flooded, the families lost, they'll show up for work. And that's the attitude that the Filipinos that money can't buy. Mm. I think the Philippines is, is really quite a unique country now. And you know, just the the level of English language uh, proficiency and the fact that everything is in spoken English and they have a fantastic attitude and great nature, very creative. Uh, it, it really is a, you know, an incredible natural resource. And I think it could take the country really a long, long way, especially as the world tends to, to move towards globalization. So exciting, exciting times. Steve, thank you so much. And I, I you know, I uh, think you're, experience is incredible and and also your passion for for the people in the industry is um is palpable so thank you so much for your time siva if anyone wants to know more about uh, fbc or wants to get in touch with you how can they how can they do that uh, very simple they can go to our website it's uh, www.fbcapac.com and there's uh, ways to contact us anytime thank you so much thank you very much and thanks for having me derek great to talk to you that was Siva Subramaniam. He is the co-founder and CEO of FBC Asia. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And if you want to ask us anything, then just drop us an email to ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.